kind of like this fear of failure, creative culture, and then also like product organizations at scale. Yeah. Um, and now it's just me and you, Lou. So there's no one else on the call. <laughs> so I figured it could just be like a collaborative conversation. We can just kind of talk through that a bit. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious. So you brought up a good point there, which is like, you give these presentations to leadership or something like that less frequently. If you don't do a great job at it, you kind of feel like, you know, or you mentioned that some people feel like, oh my gosh, now I've got to redeem myself, but when's my next chance to do it? And so I'm kind of curious, where did that like kind of come up and, and how do you see that as like, have you kind of experienced that? Yeah, um, I have in many different ways. I like the way, I mean, every PM is different. Every person is different. So they like to learn in different ways and they like to grow in different ways. The way that I uh, learn the best is kind of by doing. So just, you know, getting in front of people, falling flat on my face and then, you know, Hey, what did I do wrong? What did I do right? And then kind of work on it. And then that's how I like refine my craft. And that's not the same for everyone. Um, Some people, you know, they just like to practice and do homework and then kind of, and then, and then present. So I think, because of that I'm in that culture and at a, at a product organization at scale, it's harder and harder to do that because you don't, these, these opportunities are limited. So I'll have instances where maybe you hit a, a struck a wrong chord with maybe the strategy that you're building, or it didn't um, align with somebody, uh, someone else's uh, strategy that they were planning on um, doing and like, Oh yeah, well we can, you know, we can work on that. We can get it better, but then you don't have the opportunity to demonstrate that until like another month or a quarter or what have you. So um, for me, it's, it's, it's much of a longer learning cycle, which um, you know, some people like that, some don't, but that, that's kind of what I've experienced recently. You know, that's kind of an, it's kind of an interesting thing, you know, and I think that goes along with this concept of fear of failure, right? Like, yeah, I wonder how much it's actually truly in our heads versus how much did we really fail? I had a situation. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I had a situation just yesterday. I kind of uh, maybe spoke a little bit out of turn (laughs) in a particular, particular leadership meeting against uh, a plan that was being, that was kind of being put forward because I didn't necessarily agree with it, but it was also kind of not the right time and place to make that, you know, mm. that comment. But at the same time, like, how, as you kind of said, how could you know if you never make the comment in the first place? Yeah. Right. Like, but then, so now like what psychologically does that do to you, Lou? Right. Like does it over time, if that continues to happen or, you know, and more and more of that happens in that culture and it, it doesn't change the more less likely you are to bring those things up. Right. Because you don't want to experience that again. Right. I think, I think that kind of, I think there's kind of two parts here, right? So there's a, I I think everybody wants to approach this perfect alignment state, right? Where you can't possibly be wrong. Like we've aligned so perfectly on this presentation and, or this thing. And then you get into the particular meeting and there's a new fact, there's a new, this, there's a new, that right. it's literally impossible. So you have to kind of like think on your toes. I, in my opinion, you know, something like this, what it kind of tells me is like learning more about the people that I'm interacting with. So it's like, okay, mm. clearly like if I'm going to talk about these things, like, here's how I need to approach it with this person, this person, or this person. In this particular case, I mean, I did feel like I was like, that didn't go the direction I wanted it to go. Like that wasn't the intention I had with the particular point that I made. 
right. I think it's as much as it annoys me for, you know, a day, you kind of have to like move on and just move forward. And that's where like, you know, one of the things I kind of took from that was like, okay, fine. Like if, if getting this pre-alignment matters a whole lot to these particular individuals, and I didn't even know it was a subject that we needed to be aligned on, like Mm. that just means that I need to work that much harder than ahead of the meeting and also understand when, you know, sometimes it's like, maybe this isn't the right time to debate or decide or right. different things. So I think, but I think there's another point there too, which is how do you use the opportunities that you're given and how do you create the opportunities that you want? Right. Mm. Like if you can't only get in front of SLT once a month, but why is it that you can only get in front of SLT once a month? Right. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, that that's a good point. Um, I want to touch on your first point still like the, I I think there are certain people that thrive in those situations where again, like, like for me, for example, I I really like experiencing it. I love learning from it and I love iterating. Um, That's my daughter in the background. So hearing that on the zoom. (laughs) Um, So, you know, it, it takes a certain personality type, I think in product it leans more that type where you're going to have a lot of these experiences. So how do you react? And to your point where you're like, well, you're already questioning what, what do I do better? Right. So some folks aren't naturally minded that way. Um, and some like to work the other way. So I guess, depending on the product organization you want to work at, right. If there's a larger organization that isn't so much giving you those opportunities and it's, it's more process and involved that might be safer and, and more up your alley, but like the more startupy growth stage companies, you have more of those opportunities to grow from and learn from and give candid feedback and, and react those ways. But I, I think you like that. That's the way my mentality is too. Like you go straight to what do I do better next time? Um, and, and kind of like you're questioning all angles, right? Like I could have done this or I could have done this. Right. So those, I think that's a healthy mindset to have in those situations, but not everyone does have that. Um, I guess that gets to, it kind of gets to an interesting point, which is as you're getting, getting the product organization to grow is the, is the goal to coach people to get to a certain archetype or to try and make the product organization more accepting of others. Like what kind of culture do you want? Right. I mean, yeah, it, it really depends. And I think that's a, that's an interesting point that we're at right now where, again, such a high growth company, the product culture is changing almost like, you know, quarterly, really. I mean, the, the makeup of the teams, the, uh, the size of the companies, the folks we continue to hire, what kind of product culture do you want to build? And so, you know, I think, I think there's a question that comes to maybe not even thinking so much about what type of culture do you want to build, but what type of success do you want to have and how do you measure it and how do you define it right like at the end of the day product is only successful if its products are successful and its coordination is successful and everything else right but you know you can have a culture uh where you know maybe there's more of these opportunities that are given or you know et cetera et cetera et cetera but it doesn't necessarily mean that it breeds a more successful product yeah, that's true. You can have a healthy culture and not a healthy product. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you want to have both, obviously, and that's always a yeah. good thing. 
Right. So, but in that kind of context, so in with the PMs that you kind of talked to and you brought this up, was there mm-hmm. kind of a, a bit of advice that you shared or a thought or something that that you kind of took away in general from those conversations? Well, to me, it just screamed like, hey, we need an avenue for the PM organization to be more comfortable with failing. And I think we're experimenting with that now where it's like you're demoing the strategies to other PMs and getting that feedback. And it's more of a collaborative type of presentation. It's like, here, here's what I'm thinking. What do you guys think? How can I make this better? As opposed to those SLT presentations where it's more like, here's a polished demo of what I had planned and, and that's it. And I, you know, it's still iterative in the room, but it's not as collaborative. It's more critical than collaborative um, of the plans. So like, how do you foster more of that collaboration? Because I think in the end that does make for a better product and a better strategy because you feel more um, creative, right? As a product manager, you feel more daring and can risk more ideas that might not, um, that, that could potentially turn out to be big wins for your product that you might not have brought up in the, in the past because you're, you're, you have this fear of failure, right? You're, you're like, Oh, well that could just fall flat on its face. So, um, Right. And then when those moments happen, it's, it's the reaction, right? It's the reaction from the organization. It's the reaction that you take to it um, as a product leader. How can you kind of react positively to like, Hey, you know what? We, we made this big bet. Um, it didn't pan out the way we expected. Um, we had these lists of assumptions going into it. Um, those assumptions were wrong or, you know, something happened in the middle of the rollout that we weren't expecting. And this is what we're going to do from that. Right. So there's, there's a couple of different ways um, there are things that I kind of see and that we can potentially improve on. Um, and, and those are some of them, but I think there's, yeah, I think it kind of is a, it's kind of a duality of responsibility, right? Yeah, exactly. One of the things I think we want to look for in a product organization is coachability. Mm -hmm. Can you give somebody feedback and will they internalize it and actually act upon it? Right. And the flip side of that is, you know, as so you want to be a coachable individual, but at the same time, you also want to be able to stand up for kind of, you know, what you're, what you're thinking about. So part of it's on you and part of it's on the org. The org has right. to be, has to understand that not every presentation will go well. And I think, I think by and large, like we, we kind of do a decent job. What we tend to not I would say like what we tend to not forgive is maybe being unprepared, Mm. right? Like you never want to waste anybody's time. You don't want to be unprepared. You don't want to have an unproductive conversation when the homework's not been done. Right. Like it's like, um, I kind of like the, the, you know, it's uh, if it's my opinion versus your opinion, you know, when you're talking to leadership or something else, you know, their opinion wins. If it's my facts versus your opinion, then my facts win. But if you can't come into that meeting with your homework to have your facts, then you're just setting yourself up for a bunch of, I think, I feel. And it's like, okay, well, what is it really? And I think those are the areas where I've always seen the presentation that any presentation or strategy or something else falls a little flat is usually like, we haven't done our homework we haven't met the expectations that we thought, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's a great point. Yeah. 
I, I love that quote there. <laughs> if it's uh, my facts against your feelings or what, what did you say there? Oh, uh, my facts against your opinion. <laughs> yeah. Opinion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, no, so I, I, think I think that's totally right. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So it's always, it's always interesting. Like I've kind of thought about it, like my, myself, like, I mean, I've given an, I feel like I've given my fair share of presentations that have bombed. I've pitched a lot of investors over, over a long period of time. And, you know, not, uh, you know, I think my first, first company pitched about 200 investors before I ended up getting one. And Mm, that means I failed a whole lot in terms of succeeding at the particular goal, but in terms of like optimizing by the time you get to the end of it, it's a home skill. Right. So, yeah. But the areas yeah. I where I failed most of the time was you didn't do your homework. That's a good point. Yeah. So what is the product homework? What is that? Yeah. Cause I guess it's, it's, you know, doing the research, putting together the, the case, the data. The product homework is, I think being so up to speed on everything for your product space, your domain and your strategy that I don't want to make it sound like you have an answer for everything, but you damn near close to like, you know, what are the biggest problems facing your product right now? If you can't answer that question with data, not like, Oh, you know, one person said this about it. No, if you can't be like, I surveyed 600 people three weeks ago, and here is the response. And by the way, it wasn't just three weeks ago, but I've been doing it for the course of a year. So I have a whole year's backlog of data and shifting trends. And I know what the trends are in my product. Like not understanding that, like not knowing that is where I think the biggest fail comes in. You know, one of the biggest arguments for product management is what do I build next and why? You're right. And if you're ever struggling with what do I build next and why, it's probably just because, you know, maybe you're not listening to your own product. Interesting. Yeah. What about those times where there's a misalignment? Um, At organizations at scale, there's so many different departments kind of, I don't want to say siloed because they're doing their best efforts of collaborating, but at some point, you know, like, they're going to have an opinion on, on their, on your prioritization and, and it might not align with yours. And, and I think to your point, that's going back to the data, but I'm, I'm curious to see how those interactions happen in the room and, and kind of how do you, how do you uh, manage those relationships and those expectations? Well, I, I think for me, the area where I've kind of, uh, Let's see, the area where I've, like, when I've had misalignments, it's generally, like, I had one the other day, but it was relatively minor, right? Like, hey, if this one's only going to take, like, a week, why don't we throw it in front of this and, like, let's just get it done. Might make some more impact shortly. And I was kind of like, yeah, all right, that's a fair point, like, (laughs) updated. And I think that's, I think that's not the alignment you're talking about. I think you're talking about, like, the big misalignments, like, like the almost redraw your whole roadmap misalignment. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, sure. That, I think that's it's a good conversation to have. So when I think that happens, there's a fundamental... It, it's not about the roadmap. It's that you haven't aligned on the goals, vision, and objectives. 
right? Like that's where any pro- proper, like I think alignment starts is you, you have to state what it is you want to be built and you have to have the business case for that at a high level, right? Like that high level thing is, is the framework for everything. And so every time you lead that roadmap conversation, you want to lean in with, this is where we're going. Here's the data that I have, and here's how it's represented in the initiatives we're going to accomplish. When that happens, I think you'll get very little pushback. Where I think people struggle is, here's a whole bunch of initiatives, and somebody asks you, well, what does that lead to? What does it become? What is the grown-up child of your, your product idea? And if you don't have that answered, then, if, then it's going to be really hard to see you know, the thematics in your roadmap. It's going to be hard to see the thematics in the strategy. And I think that's where, where it hurts. Um, I'm kind of curious if you found something similar. I think that's, it's pretty, uh, I think that's pretty accurate. I think it is aligning on the goals. Um, like you mentioned, um, it's I think some of these cases where I've run into the situation is where there's expectations of those goals that aren't aligned where, you know, Hey, we thought it was this and you guys thought it was this and it's not. And then, so of course, yeah, you're going to have contention on the strategy and, and the roadmap to get there. Um, I'm curious to see when you're those, those higher level objectives, right? Like, is that something that, you as a product manager, obviously you influence it, but is that something that you're driving across these large departments to say, cause let, let's say there's four different apartment departments that have all conflicting needs, but your product, they use your product. So they all like, there's four different types of consumers or, or stakeholders. They all have differing needs, but they all use your product, right? So your goal for the product is something for the product and not necessarily for the one individual stakeholder group that um, is asking for those features. Right. I think, yeah, that, that, I think that scenario I ran into to so many times where I'm just like, I don't know if I'm thinking about this right. Or how could I think about this in a way that um, I don't necessarily, you don't want to solve all the stakeholders. Yeah, I think if you solve everyone's problem or, or meet all of their objectives, you're not really doing the the product justice as much. So Maybe I'm just talking in circles here, but go ahead. No, you you hit on an issue, and actually, this was kind of at the heart of the problem that we talked about yesterday. Was how do we, you know, staff for the different outcomes that we want to drive, right? And I think one of the biggest success things that I've seen so far this year with, with our particular subgroup is that this is really, it's really a structural thought. And the question is, does your subgroup squad group have all of the things it needs to own an experience end to end? You know, it doesn't mean you have to own it forever, but do you have enough to own it so long as you need to actually get the work done? And in those concepts, like what we haven't done, I think, at Ibotta well is figure out how we can work with cross-group dependencies and how we can reduce that. Mm. And sometimes the answer is don't have the dependency in the first place, right? Like that's, I think that's the ideal that any of us would strive toward, which is how can we make it so that we don't have those dependencies? They will happen, 
But you know, if it's a roadblocker for you getting something out the door, that's a big problem. And I think that's where we've historically struggled is that we can build UX things relatively quickly, but we can't build platform things that quickly. And as a result, we're relying on any team that has platform. But what we've tried to do in this past years when we wanted to build different services and things is that we sort of just did them ourselves with the idea that they would spin up and go to a different owner later. And as a result, that was actually a method of, I guess, success. So I know that's kind of a roundabout answer to your to your question, but I think it's that's a real structural thing that I think as you as yeah. going into a maybe higher levels of product leadership, senior or whatever, you need to be thinking about like, well, how can I think beyond my own squad to get the resources that are needed to accomplish the goals that we have set forth? And even if that is partnering partnering with other groups, right? Like you and I have a pretty good partnership right now with some of the work you're doing. Um but you've got multiple goals with it. And I only have, you know, one or two that might, you know, kind of align with your guy's side. So it's really just a question of how are we accomplishing what we need to accomplish and how can your success be my success and how can my success be yours? Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. So that you're, you're talking about inner squad um, community. Like, yeah. Like multiple different squads kind of focused on, or have dependencies on each other, right? What if it happens outside of squads and engineering teams and on business, right? Or even individual users. Let's say you're building a product for, again, that maybe four different types of users use. For example, some, um, let's go to like an ad product because that's that's kind of what I'm thinking on top of my mind. Like there's a specific ad banner, um, like a display banner that four potential different users participate in and, 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 and take value from and, and have requirements for and, and iterations and changes. Right. So mm. how do you kind of, do you solve for all of those? Do you kind of pick one and go, do you focus on the product? Do you focus on the, the user and not the stakeholders as much? Like what, what does that look like in terms of managing? <laughs> I think you asked the, the core of the PM question, right? Which is how do you prioritize effectively? I think... <laughs> is it getting to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Pretty, I, but are you always disappointing someone, right? Like, oh, I guess I guess you are in this case. You always have to I say mean, no. Yeah. It, it's pretty rare that you're going to be able to make everybody happy. So don't... I don't want to say it this way, but don't, like, don't try. <laughs> you know, it, it's like that the age old saying, jack of all trades, master of none, right? You know, if you... Our, and with the app. sayings today, Lou, love it. Yeah, yeah, I got a whole <laughs> lot of them. Apparently, it's that type of Friday. Um, if you let's take a look at our app, and, and we can be critical, for instance, right? But our app is an example of jack of all trades, master of none, right? Like we have all these different types of galleries, and what we did is every time we saw a customer opportunity or an option, we basically just built something for it and stuffed it into the app, and we are so worried more about how do we stuff it in rather than how do we actually like think critically about it? And that's actually one of the challenges that I'm dealing with right now, which is we're wow. starting to look at that same issue, but for the website, which is mm-hmm. what do we stuff in here? You know, how, what, what features does it get? Does it get all of them? Does it get a little bit? Does it, you know, get this mm. or that? What do we do uh, offline in store or online in store? 
you know, and the reality is that the more complexity you build in, sometimes the, the simple answer is just, it's complex because it's complex. And, you know, pick one, be good at it, and then figure out how to broaden the scope, right? Pick one area, do it perfectly, then start thinking about how you can add on to that experience in meaningful ways that grow, you know, grow your, your, your ultimate goal. Right. Ruthlessly prioritize, ruthlessly focus. <laughs> hey, look, you got the sayings today. <laughs> Had to get one in there before the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Thanks for the conversation, Lou. I know we're at time here. Um, and this is a unorthodox recording for us, but, um, it was fun. It was a, it was a good conversation. We talked yeah. about a lot of good points. Um, but, uh, thanks for your time, man. All right. Talk to you later, Kevin. All right. Bye.